This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org, or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 757 for release on Sunday, August 27th, 2023. Our main feature today, the development of radio in Mozambique, part one. Also, radio's importance in the Maui wildfires and 100 years of commercial radio in Australia. The African nation of Mozambique lies on the southeast coast of the continent. It has an area of 300,000 square miles and a 1,500 mile long coastline on the Indian Ocean. The mighty Zambezi River, from which the country takes its name, flows through the center of Mozambique and empties into the Indian Ocean at Chinde. This week, we begin a two-part look at the development of radio in this country, including the first commercial shortwave station in Africa, LM Radio. Here's Ray Robinson in Los Angeles. Thanks, Jeff. The first European to visit the area in 1498 was the Portuguese explorer Vasco da Gama. At the time, Arabs and Bantu Songa people were living there. Seven years later, Portuguese settlers established the first European colonies, and they named the country Mozambique as a Portuguese version of a man by the name of Musa ben Mbiki, an Arab who ran an important trading post. Today, there are around 32 million people living in Mozambique, of whom just over 1 million live in the capital, Maputo. Most of the population belongs to various Bantu tribes, although there are also several thousand Portuguese and ethnically Indian and Chinese people. There is only one official national language, Portuguese, although over 40 ethnic languages are in regular usage, of which the major ones are Songa, Chichewa and Swahili. Mozambique, now an independent republic, was a Portuguese colony up until 1975, and during those colonial times the capital city, Maputo, was known as Lorenzo Marx, after the name of the navigator who explored the region more fully in the 16th century. Lorenzo Marx was for many years a popular holiday resort for white South Africans, and the luxurious Polana Hotel provided a continental atmosphere. Broadcasting began in Portuguese East Africa on March the 18th, 1933, 90 years ago, when a small station opened in Lorenzo Marx. This station was licensed with the call sign CR7AA, and it operated with 300 watts, just above the tropical 90-metre shortwave band on 3543 kHz. At the time, all broadcasting in South Africa was tightly controlled with the government-owned South African Broadcasting Corporation, the SABC, enjoying a state monopoly. 
So the following year, C.J. McHarry, a South African, made plans to start a cross-border broadcasting service into South Africa. To do this, he set up the Radio Club de Mozambique, which was funded by private subscriptions. The Radio Club began broadcasting in 1935, and listeners in South Africa tuned into the familiar Portuguese voices announcing Aqui Lorenzo Marx, Radio Club de Mozambique, Transmitir en Ondas Curtas. This is the Radio Club of Mozambique. Aqui Lorenzo Marques, Radio Club de Mozambique, transmitindo em ondas curtas. This is the Radio Club of Mozambique. And that top of the hour ID by Donna Emilia was heard every hour on the hour for decades, with only slight variations depending on whether it was going out on short wave, medium wave or both. The station, affectionately known as LM, presented most programmes in English and a few in Afrikaans, with popular music and entertainment predominating. Unfortunately, the funding was quickly exhausted, but having proved itself, the Portuguese government then gave McHarry the right to sell advertising on the air, making the station much more viable. And thus it was that LM introduced commercial radio to southern Africa. During the next few years, several additional transmitters were installed, and by 1939, the station had become so popular that people would only buy radios that could receive Lorenzo Marx. During the war years, news bulletins in Afrikaans were introduced, and big band music was at the height of its popularity. In 1946, broadcasting hours were expanded to 6am to 12 midnight. When Nazi Germany had invaded France, all commercial broadcasting there had to cease, including the International Broadcasting Company's English language stations Radio Toulouse, Radio Lyon and Radio Normandy. In 1947, Colonel Richard L. Mayer, who had been with the IBC before the war, took over the management of LM Radio in association with John Davenport, later an executive of the Reader's Digest Association, and together they reshaped and beamed this highly successful commercial radio service into South Africa. By this time, there were seven shortwave transmitters on the air, three at 300 watts, three at 600 watts, and one at 10 kilowatts. These transmitters were assigned call signs in the twin series CR7A and CR7B. The best-known outlet was the 10kW CR7BE, which was heard and verified by many listeners in those days in Australia and New Zealand. The commercial service, as it was called, all on shortwave, was separated from the local Portuguese service on low-powered medium wave, though that also operated as a limited commercial service as well. The target audience for the commercial service on shortwave was English-speaking people living in South Africa, and in fact much of their programming was produced on tape in studios located in Johannesburg, South Africa itself. In 1948, a new studio and four-storey office building was constructed, named the Radio Palace. That same year, a new programme was introduced called Anything Goes. That show was one of the first South African-produced radio variety shows. It was recorded by Charles Berman, produced and hosted by Peter Merrill, scripted by Monty Doyle, and featured Dan Hill and his orchestra and other well-known entertainment personalities in South Africa. These celebrities provided many subsequent radio productions, especially after the birth of Springbok Radio, the first commercial station on South African soil, in 1950. 
Anything Goes was recorded in front of a live audience in the 20th Century Theatre in Johannesburg, especially for broadcast on LM Radio. The show proved to be so popular that at one performance in 1949, 4,000 people surged into the theatre, breaking the large glass entrance doors. Another programme at that time, This Is How, provided household hints and other information for housewives, as well as contests with prices of hampers and sponsors' products. Some have described this period as being the golden era of radio in the region, though it should be remembered that television wasn't introduced in South Africa until 1975, so radio variety, drama, soaps and other entertainment shows were to remain popular with radio audiences for much longer than they did in most other parts of the world. For many years, a programme called Lucky Dip drew many listeners, who sent in music requests and dedications for broadcast. The programme was presented by David Davies, the man with the golden voice, who became known as Mr. LM Radio. And when rock and roll was beginning to make its presence felt in the 50s, it was quite common to hear requests from various fan clubs, for instance for Elvis Presley, Pat Boone and Cliff Richard. At the end of the show, a draw was made with prizes of gift certificates for record singles. And the kids were not forgotten either. Each afternoon at 4pm there was a programme of birthday greetings and music requests presented by Valerie Mayer, the first female presenter on LM Radio, and that was followed by serials such as Superman and other specialty shows for youngsters. The longest-running show was Your LM Hit Parade, hosted by David Davies. It had begun as a sponsored show, The Bayer Hit Parade, in 1948. There were also a number of radio serials and soaps, although some of those moved over to Springbok Radio in the early 50s. After that, LM Radio focused more on music and light entertainment. During 1956, LM Radio's first high-powered shortwave transmitter was installed, a 100-kilowatt Brown Bovary unit from France, and this provided solid reception throughout South Africa, right down to the Cape and also up into Rhodesia. During this period, LM Radio carried out a series of stereo tests on shortwave. These were the first such tests in Southern Africa, and probably the first on shortwave anywhere in the world. Two frequencies were used in the 60-metre band, one for the left channel and the other for the right. This meant that a listener had to have two separate receivers to achieve the stereo effect. Not too many households had more than one radio in those days, as transistor radios were only just coming on the market, so these tests were not pursued. In the late 50s, more new transmitters were added and a separate service was started with religious programming during the evening on a frequency in the 60-metre band. This featured various American syndicated programs like Back to the Bible, Hour of Decision and The World Tomorrow. Beginning in December 1960, the radio log in the Plain Truth magazine began to list The World Tomorrow on LM Radio as being on 3301 kilocycles 90 metres and 4925 kilocycles 60 metres at 10pm on Saturdays and 10.30pm on Mondays and Tuesdays. At the height of its operations, Radio Club de Mozambique was on the air with 19 broadcast transmitters, so many in fact that over a period of time they added two extensions to their main transmitter building. And now to change our show, another voice you all know. And it's Rob on the job. On LM Radio. 
Take your time by the BP chime. It is five o'clock. This is the medium wave service of Lorenzo Marx Radio, Portugal, Mozambique, on 327 meters, 917 kilocycles, and on 220 meters, 1358 kilocycles, broadcasting also on shortwave in the 25, 49, and 60 meter bands. Each broadcast channel was given a distinctive call sign, beginning with CR7AA and going on down through the English alphabet into the CR7B series, with a few call signs even further down the alphabet, such as CR7DE and CR7SR. However, a tabulation of all their known call signs shows lots of irregularities, with official lists of frequencies and call signs sometimes differing from actual usage and also transmitters on the air at a considerable distance in the shortwave band from the announced frequency. Sometimes harmonic radiations were also noted from the Matola transmitter base. For example, in 1947, call sign CR7AB, a 7.5 kilowatt transmitter on 3490 kHz, was noted in Australia with a good signal on the first harmonic, 6980 kHz. Shortwave regional stations of the Radio Club de Mozambique were opened in the 1950s at Nampula, Kalimani and Port Amelia, now Pemba. These stations broadcast in Portuguese as well as in local vernaculars. In June 1969, the Dondo station opened near Beira with two 10kW, one 25kW and one 100kW shortwave transmitters, as well as one 50kW and two 10kW medium-wave transmitters. Also, during the Portuguese colonial period, a few independent private stations were on the air. Emissora do Aeroclub de Beira, a commercial station operated by the Air Club of Beira, was on the air in the late 40s using a 300-watt transmitter with the call CR7IB. By 1958, the power had been increased to 5 kilowatts. Radio Pax, also located in Beira, was opened in 1955. It was a religious station operated by the Franciscan Fathers. It used two low-power shortwave transmitters with the calls CR7RA and CR7RB. The power also was later increased. In 1968, Radio Mocidade, Radio Youth, a station for students, was inaugurated on a low-power medium-wave transmitter in Lorenzo Marx. It was owned and operated by the Portuguese Youth Organization and operated on an irregular schedule. The domestic Portuguese service operated by Radio Club de Mozambique was, of course, heard clearly in South Africa, and it provided a radio service for the large Portuguese community there. At one time, RCM was operating up to four programme services, including LM Radio. We're searching for sunshine We're looking for a friendly place A silver lining, a happy face A little grin in that open space And a chance to say Have a happy day Just a chance to say Next week, we'll have more on the development of radio in Mozambique and LM Radio in particular. So for now, back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at the Voice of Hope Studios in California. And we'll look forward to part two next week. KPOA, Lahaina, Maui, 93.5 FM, K225BD, Lanai City, a service of Pacific Media Group.
Last week, we talked about the severe typhoon that hit Guam three months ago and the damage done to KSDA there. Well, earlier this month, terrible wildfires swept across parts of Hawaii, exacerbated by high winds from a hurricane near the islands. More than 100 persons on the island of Maui were estimated to have been killed in the fires. The historic port city of Lahaina, a popular tourist spot, was decimated. Thousands of people were evacuated from Maui, both tourists and locals whose homes were destroyed. Telephone and cell phone lines in many areas were out of service, and power was out as well. That meant no television for most people in the affected zones. So just about the only way for people to get information was local radio. As happens here in Florida during hurricanes, many TV stations in Hawaii teamed up with local radio stations to air their newscasts on local AM and FM stations. But as Hawaii News Now's Daryl Huff reported from Kahului on the island of Maui, the radio stations there were frustrated by their inability to get sufficient information in the immediate aftermath of the firestorms. In times of natural disaster, one institution often becomes more essential than ever, local radio, which becomes an information lifeline for people who are desperate for more than just music. And, uh, they need to, please, please, people are desperate. Babies need diapers and formula. Their elderly need their medication. All right, all right, well, hang, hang on, hang on for just a second, okay? Veteran radio host Ed Kapoi of KISS 99 takes the call from Napili, north of Kaanapali. It just kind of rocks you to your core, it really does. Um, it's hard to take those kind of phone calls. We hear them crying, their tears, uh, their desperate pleas. Um, it, it's real. It's very real for me. In another studio at Pacific Media Group, the Hawaiian music hosts are doing the same for their audience. From Oluwalu again, mahalo Lori, uh, letting us know that you are there and there are families there waiting for some kind of uh, supply, uh, or any kind of food and supplies, yeah, and mahalo. we are working on that for you. It's been very frustrating to, trying to get people to talk, not to us specifically, but to talk through us to reach the people that really need to hear their voices. And when we don't have those details available to us for them, it's, it's frustrating for sure. We have people out there waiting for any kind of contact. I come early in the morning and it's hard when we don't have any access to any information. You know, I was in Hurricane Aniki. And I know what it's like to be without power, without food, without water, and not have any information come your way. I go home and my sister looks at me like, are you okay? I'm like, I shouldn't be here. There's more that I can do. The fact that Pacific Media Group has so many local stations with dedicated live broadcast hosts is a huge blessing for this community, which desperately needs it. Reporting from Kahului, Daryl Huff, Hawaii News Now. Daryl Huff was talking there with announcers at local Maui stations KISS-FM and KPOA-FM.
Hawaii's Hawaii Music Destination 93.5. We might also mention that amateur radio operators in Maui and Hawaii were carrying emergency traffic on 7.088 megahertz in lower sideband. Commercial radio in Australia is celebrating 100 years this year. Australia's Minister for Communications, Michelle Rowland, issued a media release to mark the event on August 3rd. And we have a portion of it for you here today. This is not the voice of Minister Rowland, but an AI-type voice provided by the Ministry of Communications. As Minister for Communications, I am privileged to celebrate the remarkable journey of Australian commercial radio industry. For over a century, radio has played an integral role in all of our lives. Bringing news, music and entertainment to our homes and cars, connecting us all in a way that is both timeless and enduring. Back in 1923, there were only four radio stations, and a mere 1,400 listeners tuning into the wireless on AM. Fast forward to today. We boast an impressive 260 commercial radio stations captivating 95% of all Australians every week. But it's not just local news and advocacy, commercial radio plays an indispensable role in disasters. Your diligence keeping the airwaves alive during a natural disaster means we can get information out quickly, to help save lives, and properties. From bushfires to floods, and the pandemic, commercial radio shows up. Your commitment to service deserves our deepest appreciation for your work keeping Australians connected when they need it most. And time and time again, commercial radio has shown it's prepared to change and grow to meet the times. Since those early days of AM, the industry has also moved and adapted to FM before embracing digital radio, streaming and now audio podcasting. Radio is the great adapter in large part because of its two-way nature and its ability to form personal connections with listeners in a way other forms of communication simply can't. Today, we have myriad listening options thanks to the modernization and innovation of the commercial radio industry. Through a variety of apps, Australians are now spoiled for choice and able to stream their favorite show from wherever they are. Tech advancements such as smart speakers, and global radio apps have helped create the evolution of radio here in Australia. And I am sure that no matter the next development, commercial radio will be at the cutting edge of innovation. A message from Australia's Minister of Communications, Michelle Rowland, marking 100 years of commercial radio in Australia. And Australia's Nine News Network broadcast the following report to commemorate the anniversary. In our homes, at work or on the move. For a century, the airwaves across Sydney have kept us informed and entertained. From dials to the digital age, Australian commercial radio is turning 100 this year. And to celebrate, we can now look back at a fascinating 10 decades on air. From the lounge rooms of backyard tinkerers, Australian radio would first transmit 100 years ago. And it wasn't long before the live concerts and radio plays became requisite family listening. And here it is. Stop him, Jill. He jumped through the window. Are you all right, dear? Yes, I'm okay. The quiz show would also soon be a regular one contestant, a young future Prime Minister in John Howard. Hey, John. Not bad, thanks, Mr Davey. That's all right. What do you do for a living? Oh, I still go to school. Oh, you do? Yeah, what school? Canterbury Boys High School. Sport, finding a place on the dial early. Norman Banks calling VFL from outside the ground in the 1930s. 
But he kicked it straight through the centre and Carlton are still keeping their mind on the game. With the arrival of television in the late 50s, radio found salvation in the booming ranks of teenagers. 420209 is the only number to ring in 3AK's chart check. And let's move it now with a sun raid. At its ratings height, Sydney's 2SM would stage a stunt still talked about, promising a jumbo under the bridge and delivering. One woman told me she got up at 3 o'clock, she thinks she'll have in the thing. The world's longest running radio serial, ending in the 70s. The ABC presents episode 5000 of Blue Hills by Gwen Meredith. In the 80s, the new stereo FM band added a reverence such as the Reverend Dr. Doug Mulray. Reminds me uh, of the story of the contortionist who died in his own arms. And into the 21st century, radio is adamant that it plans to stay in our ears for another hundred years in the theatre of the mind. A lot of people predicted that the rise of streaming and other services would mean the end of radio. In fact, the exact opposite has occurred. There's no reason why that won't continue to be the case. I tell you what though, that only happens if we keep entertaining. Mike Dalton, Nine News. Sending you guys some aloha this morning, gang. Staying with you right here on 93.5. <laughs> And we end with some Hawaiian music from KPOA in Maui. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and in Los Angeles by Ray Robinson. Next week, the development of radio in Mozambique, part two. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam. AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. .org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, aloha.
the music of Hawaii on KPOA 93.5. This is the Adventist World Radio, and you are listening to the Voice of Hope. For more information, please feel free to write to us. Our email address is Bible at awr.org. Or you could also call us on WhatsApp at plus one two two four two 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 zero seven seven seven. 